0: bariatric surgery trumps all our other rather feeble tools to fight the obesity epidemic. It actually works. But when should we and how do we get our patients hooked up For a potentially life-saving bariatric procedure. You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Mark Watson, Associate Professor at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and Associate Program Director for the program in general surgery there, also co-author of a new book called The Lap Band Companion Handbook. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Watson.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Friedman. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.
0: Well, we certainly hear a lot about bariatric surgery. Perhaps it would be worthwhile for people around the country to go through who are the candidates for this type of procedure.
1: Well, that's actually been a pretty well-established guideline in our national and international community. And we base that on something called a BMI, which is the Body Mass Index. And that is based on your weight in kilograms divided by your body surface area, which we measure roughly in your height in meters. In 1993, the NIH had a consensus group that got together to actually evaluate the efficacy and safety of diets. And what they found were the diets were overall safe uh, and in many cases were effective. However, it was not durable. And at the conclusion of their consensus, they actually came up with guidelines on what they thought was appropriate for having surgery as a treatment for obesity. And that was defined as a BMI of greater than 40. 40 BMI is defined as morbidly obese. They extended that to include patients that were BMI of greater than 35, which is severely obese, including some life-threatening comorbidities that are associated with obesity. Those would include things like diabetes, hypertension, and dyslipidemia.
0: And is that list of concurrent disabilities perhaps expandable at times to things like osteoarthritis? or?
1: Absolutely. The list is vast. They include things anywhere from arthritis to cardiac disease, problems with even stress incontinence or menstrual irregularity. These are all included as uh, comorbidities of obesity.
0: BMI over 35 with comorbidities or over 40. Are there other things that you do look at in deciding whether a particular individual is a good candidate for a procedure?
1: Yes, there are several other guidelines. Number one is the obesity has to be present for greater than five years. The reason for that is they don't want anything or we don't as a group want to be taking care of anything that is as a result of something that is temporary or reversible. So, therefore, we want to consider something is a chronic condition and we consider that greater than five years. We also have to consider people have attempted conservative management of their obesity, meaning they have undergone some sort of weight loss program, hopefully medically supervised. So, it has to be something that is chronic has to be something that has been attempted in a conservative fashion, and we have to rule out that there isn't some other medical problem that would be leading to this, i.e., or as such as Cushing's disease.
0: And assuming that those criteria are met, are there additional screening done to look for those patients who would be uh, psychologically better candidates than others?
1: Absolutely. And many of the insurance companies, since most patients are very interested in having their surgery covered by their insurance company, have specific guidelines about what sort of tests and consultations they would like their patients to undergo before they approve the procedure from the insurance standpoint. These would include uh, such things as psychologic evaluation and other evaluations in terms of having identified that they've had conservative weight loss. So many of my patients now are required, because now Medicare is requiring this as well, That they undergo at least six months of medically supervised weight loss before they'll approve the uh, program.
0: And I may be jumping ahead of myself because I want to eventually ask you about outcomes. But uh, in terms of some of the rather impressive outcomes that we've seen published lately, do you see any of these uh, criteria being relaxed or not waiting as a last resort to go to surgery?
1: Well, that's a complicated question because actually Medicare and the private payers, the insurance companies, have been doing the opposite. They've actually been increasing the requirements to have approval for the procedure, such as requiring more stringent Psychologic evaluation, and requiring more stringent conservative management. However, there are many people that will be willing to write a check for the procedure in and of itself, and therefore, those conditions will be relaxed. There's a couple other conditions. I primarily focus my practice on insertion of laparoscopic adjustable gastric restrictive banding, or the lap band, that is not a gastric bypass. This procedure was approved in 2001 by the FDA, and the FDA has uh, another couple of criteria that they have required prior to placing a lap band. And that would be number one, you have to be greater than 18 years of age. You have to fulfill the criteria we just outlined. And you cannot have other associated educational or uh, learning disabilities. Because with the lap band in particular, if you aren't able to follow with the program, then it is not going to be effective those are a couple of the specific criteria the FDA is actually outlined including the other things for insurance approval
0: And so you've alluded to this. This is not just a procedure and you're done like an appendectomy. There's a whole pre-procedural evaluation that's done. And then what are important things for us to look at postoperatively in terms of good programs?
1: Well, you know, I I sort of look at this as I'm probably married to a thousand different people now because once you've placed a lap band, they are going to be with you for a long time because it is not like doing an appendectomy and it's not like doing a gastric bypass. The process of losing weight with a lap band requires participation by not only the surgeon, but also the patient. And unless there's cooperation and participation by both parties, it doesn't tend to be as effective. So it is an ongoing process that it requires not only adjustment of the band on a regular basis, but it also requires the patient participate in the program to allow the lap band to decrease their intake of food.
0: If you've just joined us, you are listening to REACH MD, XM157, the Channel for Medical Professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman and with me is Dr. Mark Watson, associate professor at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and an expert on lap band procedures. We're discussing bariatric procedures, specifically lap band. In addition to the surgeon and adjustments to the band itself, are there other members of a team that would be important to have in place?
1: Yes, I, I, I tell the patient when we start that this is really a team effort. They may be the captain and required for everything to actually function, but it's a whole team effort. Some of the key players are the surgeon who places the band and many times does the primary adjustments. There's also the dietitian who is a, a critical member of, of the whole system because the dietician is required to make recommendations about foods that work best with the lack band, decreasing their overall intake of food while at the same time keeping them nutritionally well nourished. And so all those players are exceedingly important. There's also the nursing supervisors that run the planning of the follow-up appointments, the scheduling, and there's also the financial assistance in the uh, program as well very complicated getting assurance approval for these procedures. And so therefore, we actually have full-time staff that are required just to take care of the insurance, the financial and other legal aspects of it.
0: So it really is important to look for a well-established team that has all these different members functioning together.
1: It is very difficult for you to just ring on a surgeon's office and have them place a lap band because it does require some getting used to in terms of management of all the people that need to be involved with this and the follow-up and taking care of the patients long-term.
0: And can you uh, outline for us some of the major differences between the traditional gastric bypass surgery and the lap band?
1: The primary difference, in, in my view, since my practice is primarily focused on lap band, is that the lap band does not require division of the gastrointestinal tract anywhere along the system. Uh, What that means, uh, and to me most importantly, means that since there isn't any dividing of the stomach or the intestines, it decreases the mortality and major morbidity of doing the procedure tenfold. So that means the chances of you dying from having a gastric bypass are 100 times greater than dying from having a lap band pen in because you're not required to divide the stomach or the intestines anywhere along the way. So that makes it a very different procedure. Absolutely. The other side effect of that or the other byproduct of that is that since you're hooked up exactly the way you always were with the lap band, if you do not follow the follow-up appointments, the adjustments, and modifying your diet and activity, you will never lose weight with a lap band. You can go to any fast food establishment and get chocolate milkshakes and you can actually gain weight with a lap band very easily. That is what is different between the lap band and a bypass. With a bypass if you misbehave in that fashion after a bypass, it will make you sick. You are automatically going to lose weight initially after a bypass. And no matter how well we do our adjustments or modification of behavior, the patients after a bypass are going to lose more weight in the first seven or eight months. There is no question about it because it is a malabsorptive operation. Not everything that crosses your lips with a bypass is going to be put to your hips. And so, therefore, there is an obligatory weight loss. Unfortunately, After two years, we're looking at as much as a 30%, what we call a weight regain after a bypass. That means if you haven't modified your behavior after a bypass, as much as 30% of patients will, can gain weight back and maybe all of their weight back after a bypass. And now they have been bypassed, and so now they have a malabsorptive procedure that they have to monitor forever.
0: I would imagine then fewer problems with malabsorption of certain key vitamins and fewer things to watch with the lap band.
1: Correct. And we encourage all our patients to take multivitamins on a daily basis just to ensure that. But since you're not malabsorbing anywhere along the track, you will stay, we don't have trouble with malnourishment in lap band patients. Unless there is an extreme problem with placement of the band and patients aren't able to take any intake at all, uh, patients with lap band t- stay very well nourished.
0: Good. And and outcomes, even though perhaps a little slower than the traditional gastric bypass at the beginning, tend to be quite excellent, don't they?
1: They're coming up closer and closer. The reason is is that the lap band was approved in 2001 in this country. So it was 2002 before we started doing it here at University of Texas, and because of that, you have progressive linear weight loss, which means that you have to stay with the program for a long time to see the maximal benefits. What we see is that although the bypass patients, essentially all of them will regain some weight after two years, the band patients, if they are persistent with the program, will continue to lose weight, and in Australia, they've they've seen weight loss for past 10 years after they have a band in place. So it's a different sort of program. Now, when you look at the numbers way out, our numbers at two years uh, for lap band placement, I'm seeing about a 60% loss of excess body weight. We tend to measure efficacy in terms of loss of excess body weight. And in the bypass patients, they see as much as 70%. So it's approaching. And now as you get further out, the bypass patients have started to regain some of their weight. And as you get out three or four years, the the lap band patients are continuing to lose weight so that the curves are becoming closer and closer. So it's becoming, you know, it's becoming more equivalent over time.
0: Dr. Watson, if providers want to get more information, how can they obtain this?
1: The easiest place to access this is through our website, which is www.lapbandcompanion.com. And that can give you access to much more information as well as access to uh, obtaining the book. Well, I want to thank
0: Dr. Mark Watson, who has been outlining for us some of the techniques and the benefits, the profound benefits, of lap band uh, gastric uh, reduction surgery. Um, hopefully, as we uh, continue to see nice... Uh, outcomes and and reductions in comorbidities, uh, insurance companies and others will come around and make this more than just a last-ditch approach for helping our patients who have problems with obesity. Thank you for listening to Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman. This is ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical
1: professionals.